You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today and making up this terrible, terrifying twosome, it's my co-host, Mark Mulcaster. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, buddy? I'm good. We're in the spooky month. We're in October, so yes, I'm good. It's been, as usual, another busy week. We had an episode come out a couple of days ago from the Lego Terrifying Tales Roundtable. Cool. With the producer and the director, which was great fun, so uh, that's out there if you want to go back and listen to that. The Visions Roundtable coming out over the next few days that I completely forgot to post last week, so bad me. Um, Yeah, it's all good. How about yourself? I'm very well. We are... (laughs) We were recording this on a weekday. It's lunchtime. Yeah. I'm in colour too at, <laughs> at Sky Central. I'm hoping I don't get any interruptions from any clients. Yeah, I had a great weekend. I was out on Sunday with a couple of members from the brilliant UKG 501st and we were working on my armour. So we were trying to fit it all to me a little bit better than it was originally kind of provided, which to be fair, bear in mind my girlfriend Karen sneakily took my measurements it wasn't that far off. <laughs> so this was just a little trim and a tweak just to make sure that it kind of looks aesthetically okay. I'm quite a broad guy. So, you know, in terms of idealised Stormtroopers, I look more like a Power of the Force 2 Stormtrooper than I do an original trilogy Stormtrooper, which is fine because I dig the Power of mm-hmm. Force 2 line, so it's not too bad. Yeah, Wes and Darren saw me straight and they used their amazingly crafty expert skills and knowledge and what have you to get me one step closer to clearing as a 501st Stormtrooper. That must be very, very... Very cool. It's always good to have a trim and a tuck, I find. I'm quite broad myself, but not so much around the shoulders, more around the hips. Yeah. But but hey ho, such is our DNA and genetics. Yeah, no, I did see the pictures from that, so that looks very cool. Looking forward to seeing you in that armour. What else have you not seen this week? Uh not a huge amount, actually. I enjoyed Terrifying Tales and we watched Star Wars Sounds and you know, obviously Visions came out as well like last week. So, so I've been re-watching a few of those episodes that may not have necessarily resonated with me the first yeah. time round. Yeah. Generally just been kind of relatively busy at work which is not a bad thing oh and of course you know friday went and saw no time to die which is probably the next biggest passion in my life is probably james bond so i was uh, very excited to go and see that in imax we saw that on saturday absolutely loved it this was very very good we really enjoyed it the main order of business today is episode 109 of Making Tracks. Yes. We need to get stuck in because you don't want to do this without any interruptions. Let's look at Bowman's Green. We've talked about Bowman's Green before. They released fantastic Marvel movie prints, basically going back to the earliest days of Marvel US, uh, as we got it, Marvel UK, and all those issues that came out after A New Hope back in the 77, 78. They've released two more movie prints. There's The Ultimate Gamble from issues 18 to 23 of the Marvel comic Beautiful piece of artwork. The first 25 prints will be a limited numbered first printing. 18 trading cards comes with the print as well. There's two prints. The second print is The Keeper's Secret and Kingdom of Ice. So this is like a double feature. Mm-hmm. So anybody that remembers going to the cinema back in the day when you used to get your Oscar double features, 
This is laid out like a movie poster, double feature. So this was from the Pizzazz issues of Marvel Comics from 77 to 78. Again, absolutely fantastic. I am actually rereading these stories right now, oh, cool. funny enough. Dark Horse did a, a like a, a zero issue of Star Wars back in about 1999 and reprinted all the Pizzazz stuff. So I am actually weirdly rereading the Pizzazz ones. So this is perfect for me. I'm totally all over this. You've got some of these. You love them, don't you? I really do. I think these are really awesome. I think my only problem with them is that I, I don't know the comics as well as you do. I look at them and go, they're cool. They look amazing up on the wall because, you know, they're, they're something a little bit different, authentic, retro kind of styles to them. These prints are gorgeous. £25, well worth the spend. They look fantastic on walls. So, yeah, head to Bowman's Green. Get your orders in right now, bowmansgreen.com. <laughs> Fanta Drags. So awesome news has arrived. Galactic Star Cruiser, the Star Wars Hotel, as everybody refers to it, has got a launch date. Not that it's literally going to take off and fly around the planet. It's docking on planet Earth on the 1st of March 2022. Anybody who's got a hankering to get to that, what looks like a fantastically immersive experience, get your orders in, get your bookings done, because I think this is going to be booking out really quick, don't you? Oh, I would think so, yeah. I mean, the hype alone, I've got friends who are literally clearing down parts of their collection to pay for like travel expenses and what have you to get over there so they can experience this firsthand and fairly early on because I suppose as with spoilers and stuff after like the first few days and that you know the storylines and all that are going to have been I wouldn't say leaked but would be published on various different sites and stuff so you may you know if you want to try and get in and, and not experience this second or third hand I guess people are going to rush to get there and do this so I'm really excited for this it's just a matter of actually when and where I can kind of get the money and stuff to go out and do it. They're saying that it opens on the 1st of March, but you can pre-book on the 28th of October this year. Yeah. Disney Vacation Club members, Disney Pass holders, Disney Visa card members, they'll get special booking opportunities ahead of that date. So those people will get a little bit of an earlier scoop on that. Mm. But nevertheless, yeah, it does look amazing. I definitely want to go. But anyway, we'll, we'll have to be thinking outside the box for this one because, like I say, it isn't cheap. And the figures they gave were the were the lower tier figures and they were still $3,000 for two nights sort of thing. But nevertheless, looking at the experience, it does look phenomenal. So it's it's easy to be sniffy about the price but when you see how cool this looks yeah like you just said you know once people have been and give it a couple of weeks and the word starts getting out about oh wow this is so worth it that is the thing isn't it because at the moment it's you know we're basing our opinions on like the concept mm. art that you've actually got in the article and and it looks great and obviously we've seen a little bit of video and we've seen like you know what the, the cabins look like and they look great but ultimately it's the interaction and it's the actual experience so it'll be interesting to see how people's kind of thoughts and opinions stack up after the first few kind of voyages and seeing if actually people were like well this is definitely worth it or you know it's only worth it if you're a real hardcore star wars fan or actually it's not worth it go to universal and go to the harry potter world instead for example anybody that goes Contact Fanthatracks. Let us know what you think. We can't wait to talk about it. We're looking forward to seeing. I don't suppose you'll be able to walk around taking pictures. I'm pretty sure that won't be allowed. No. But I'm sure more information will come out once it uh, once it launches 1st of March, but pre-book on 28th of October this year. Yeah, and anybody who is going, if you've got space in your suitcase, you can either fit me or Mark, preferably me because I am smaller and maybe a little bit lighter. Let us know as well and I can hold my breath, you know, for what, a 10-hour flight. Be fine. I'm not dignifying that with a response. Hello, I'm Ahmed Best, and you're listening to Fanthatracks. So last week saw the arrival of Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. It's in the streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Listeners to Making Tracks will have heard the roundtable that took place last week that I was fortunate enough to be a part of. Great fun. Go back and listen to it. It's only half an hour long, so we were myself, other podcasts and websites, and the producer and the director 
go through the episode and talk about various moments. But given that it's now out on Disney+, Plus, Mark, what did you make of it? I thought it was good fun. Yeah, it's good fun. I mean, I suppose the closest comparison you can make to it is probably the Simpsons, uh, was it Treehouse of Terror, Halloween yeah. specials. That's quite a, a, an obvious comparison. And to be honest, there's kind of story elements from the Lego Star Wars, which is, I don't know if it's a nod to or if it's just taking ideas or like story beats from it, but it's uh, very similar. And it's Star Wars Lego, so it's a bit bonkers and you just have to kind of strap yourself in for, for the ride, really. Exactly, yeah. I mean, like you say, it kind of refers to other Star Wars in that I think Grabella the Hutt was in Freemaker Adventures. Yeah, that's right. So there's little references there, you know, and he'd done stuff before. I think he set up like a holiday resort in one of the episodes. And in this one, he takes Vader's castle and turns it into like a hotel. So it's good fun. They broke it into those three stories, which were all great fun. Yeah, for what it was, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's nice now, you know, last year we had the holiday special, which was huge fun. And this year we've got now got this terrifying tales. The Vader's Castle concept keeps rolling on. Sadly, IDW are, are losing the Star Wars license. It seems pretty clear. StarWars.com have made that fairly obvious in their writings on the site when they talk about Ghosts of Vader's Castle, the latest IDW series. Only two issues to go with that. But for what it is, yeah, Vader's Castle as a concept has definitely got some legs. And uh, yeah, more more of this, I think. It's good fun. And it's quite nice that, like you said, last year we had a thanksgiving orientated holiday special and then this year's halloween between the two have you got a preference which one if they were to do another special next year which one would you like to see them revisit i think halloween and star wars weirdly has gone together really well halloween's always felt more of an american thing than yeah. a british thing but now halloween's become for us it was bonfire night mate you know, november 5th that's kind of gone away now and now it's all about halloween because it's so much more merchandisable so all the supermarkets and shops want to push halloween because it's something they can sell but nevertheless I think Star Wars and Halloween, it wasn't really until you went into the parks and Disney started doing the, the Halloween pins. Yeah. It didn't seem to be a connected thing. But now, usually we're out at New York Comic Con, Fanta's at New York Comic Con, which takes place within the next couple of days. And we're not going this year because of travel restrictions. But when you're out there, half of every supermarket is given over to Halloween. Oh, such a huge thing. Mm. So there's loads of scope, I think, for them to do more Halloween-style stuff. Again, Vader's Castle, brilliant location to do it. But I really did enjoy the holiday special last year. That whole concept with travelling through time and popping up in different eras. You couldn't do that every every special, no. but it was so much fun. I'd find it difficult to pick a favourite. I'd probably give the holiday special the edge yeah, uh, okay. because of the concept. Mm-hmm. Not the execution. The execution's no. fantastic, but probably the concept just gave it the edge. Like you said, this felt like a Treehouse of Horror format yeah. with three separate stories like, like they do on The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. The one section from this year's episode that I really liked was when Luke was being trained by Vader and he's running around the Star Destroyer. I just thought that was probably yeah. my, my highlight from this episode, especially when they kind of go and do their chasm swing. Vader gives them a peck and a treat. I thought that was like laugh out loud yeah. funny. I think with the holiday special, it had like a real nice heart to it. And this obviously is trying to be a little bit scary and a little bit sinister and stuff. So it's different vibe. And if they could do one of each each year or, you know, yeah, you know, flip-flop between the two every other year. That would be, you know, cool with me and keeps it fresh and makes it enjoyable. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing that it needs to be taken too seriously, it's, but it's great visual treat and eye candy, so roll on. Hi, this is Guy Henry, and you're listening to Fanther Tracks. Enjoy. The fallout from Lucasfilm and Disney not picking up the contract of Gina Carano continues in a weird peripheral way. If you listen to what Lucy Lawless has said... She said that she was in discussions to appear in something Star Wars related. She doesn't say what, but there was something on the table that she could have been affiliated with and could have been involved in. But because her name was brought up as a replacement for Gina to play Cara Dune, 
Lucy feels that may have hindered or affected her chances of getting involved. It's quite a lot to unpack on this one, but just briefly to get started, what what did you make of what Lucy Lawless said? Yes, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because she's been a bit vague in what she's kind of saying. You know, and something Star Wars affiliated, so it's like, could that have been maybe Rangers? Because that would have been, again, uh, a similar kind of vehicle. If we're if we're going on with rumours that Gina Carano is meant to be heavily involved with Rangers of New Republic, it, yeah. it makes perfect sense to kind of have Lucy Lawless be in that show as well. And actually, they've both kind of got like a, a good on-screen presence and stuff. So I suppose it's really difficult to know. I, I don't know what Lucy's Twitter stream is like, so I don't know if maybe she's potentially shared any comments either in support of or against Gina Carano or if it's just literally she's now tarred with the same brush by kind of like lease association. I suppose she does bring up an interesting point about it. It's a fine line that you walk down, isn't it, sometimes with these big corporations and franchises about how much do you or should you pander to fan groups if they want certain things. And it's like the, the fans are always reacting on something that is being released rather than what's in the works so we don't necessarily know what was in the works so it's it makes it a one-sided conversation it does and it's interesting as well kind of what you say makes sense in the in the way that it's difficult to quantify what she's referring to obviously she can't say anything because she probably would have signed ndas and it could very well be a project that may be coming but we don't know or it could be something that's not been announced it might not even be television or film it could be you know another avenue it could be animated or it could be computer game or it could be anything but your head tells you it's going to be live action to get an actress of her standing having been Xena which was a big deal she was in Galactica that was a big deal yeah. Parks and Rec that was a big deal and you know, Mar- she's, she's a known... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well she's in a few of those as well so she's that's, she's yeah, she's done yeah. more than you know I think people because people automatically just go Xena Warrior Princess that was like 90s so that was like you know yeah. 25 years ago you know she's she's done more now than you know than just that which is i think might actually be something that works as a, a disservice to her true you know she's got range i think yeah. that's probably the thing we're saying she's done comedy she's done action she's done humor she's done all sorts of stuff so you know that if she came into star wars into the sort of our sphere if you like she'd be very very welcome because who wouldn't want lucy lawless involved she's ace you know the way the conversation goes i'll read what she says you know, I was already in discussions about something. It wasn't The Mandalorian, but something Star Wars affiliated. It might have hurt me in some way because then they couldn't hire me because it would seem to be pandering to, and I'm just guessing here, she says, I don't know anything, but in some ways it can be unhelpful because if they pander to this fan group, then how are you going to pander to every other fan group? Do you know what I mean? So she's kind of, she's not specifying who she's referring to, but she's kind of saying, well, if you play to this little part of the portion of the crowd, what about the rest of it? And, and I think in celebrity, in movie, in TV circles, the Star Wars fandom is probably the best known because it's probably the biggest, but also because it can be quite acidic. Look at what happened to Kelly Marie Tran. Look at John Boyega stepping away from certain elements of, of social media. Daisy coming off completely. They were so into it and so in up for it in the early days of the sequel trilogy. And they all backed away because the fandom was just ridiculous, the, the attacks they got. And of course, you have to be very careful about how you frame these conversations, even us having this now, because... You don't want to be seen to be gatekeepery in any sense. But if you are happy to take it on the head for any reason, it's like, well, then there's fans who want to love what they see and want to respect and, and enjoy the actors that do it and the creatives that do it. People like that, 
engender goodwill. Yeah. They're the sort of fans you want to pitch to. All the other ones that just throw the rattle out of the prompt. We've had it, okay, I'm going to make, make me obligatory Star Trek reference this week on Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. There's a sequence in their version of Ten Ford, the bar, where their inhibitions have gone and there's a shot where Boyman has got his legs in the air and a big black box covers up his private parts, which me as a, a grown adult that can handle these things thought was absolutely hilarious because Trek's always had these weird things going on. But certain elements of the Trek fandom are now judging that this isn't Star Trek, telling other people that if you like this, then you're not a real Star Trek fan. Trek's having its wobbles right now because of a really harmless scene in a cartoon. And Star Wars has moments like that as well. So. For her to be conscious of that, I thought was quite interesting. She goes on, I became political. It had nothing to do with the discussion, but that's the way the world is. And they meant it out of love, meaning her fans. And I thank the fans for their fealty to me. Haven't thought about it since, so it hasn't given me any pain. But that was my thoughts at the time. Like, oh, this makes me look like a political appointment and not an actress. What a world to have to think like oh, that as, a, sucks, as, a, it? as an actor. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You know, I mean, they should not have to worry about that. Just this week, they've announced for the cast for the new Super uh, Mario brother's movie yes uh obviously chris pratt is gonna be mario and he is pretty much persona non grata on twitter for everything that isn't actually his acting career you know for his his personal life choices and stuff it's just bonkers and, and this is a risk and the danger of social media isn't it you know you yeah. can be vilified and you can be cancelled and everything else either for doing your job or for not doing your job and just getting on with your life so you know and it's a sad position that we're now in whereby actors and and talent need to maybe consider what does this mean if I accept this role? And obviously there, there's always going to be certain roles where that might have to come into play depending on who they're playing in and the type of films. You know, obviously if they're watershed films and, you know, they depict something that is in itself very contentious, then obviously we're going to consider that. But a fun franchise such as Star Wars or as Star Wars should be, they should just be like, yeah, sure. Tell me what you want me to do. What's the deal with this? Who do I, Who am I blowing up? Can I play around with lightsaber? Not necessarily how the fandom's going to react. It's a crazy situation. Bottom line, I think, and, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I certainly hope at some juncture... Lucy Lawless does come into yeah. Star Wars. I think she'd be a, a huge asset to it. I think she's a brilliant actress to watch, and I've always enjoyed her work. So let's hope that something comes of this. Like you say, it's a shame that actors have to think this way. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. Andy Serkis, director of the latest Venom movie, Let There Be Carnage, and a $90 million opening dollar weekend in the US, so it's done fantastically well, and he wants to make it a trilogy. We know him from The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Planet of the Apes, King Kong, Avengers Age of Ultron, all sorts of other stuff. I think he turned up in What If the other week as a voice role. Fantastic actor and a brilliant director and a genius when it comes to motion capture, obviously the, the work he did as Gollum and as Snoke, and that's what he's talking about here. He mentions that he was devastated when he read the script learning the fate of Supreme Leader Snoke. I shall read what he said. He says, I was devastated when I read the script because it was all going so well. I was like, man, this is a boss character. I'm going to love playing what? You're kidding me, what? I was like, okay, is this a good idea? I suppose it is. I was slightly mortified, pardon the pun. He admits he was shocked and let down when this great character of his was being killed off, but he understood it was necessary for the story, which was ultimately about the development of Kylo and Rey. It was all in the right, I think, he says. I love playing that character, and I love the face-off scene between Kylo, Ren, and Rey. It was so great. So basically, he's bemoaning the fact that Snoke probably didn't make it to episode 9. This is kind of a different discussion, but it isn't. Snoke as a character was set up as the big bad, 
and we learn as the trilogy moves forward, he's actually completely and utterly a puppet being played by other people, but being played by Palpatine. Do you think, first off, Circus is right to feel that way? And second, the Snoke character, what do you think of, of all of that? I mean, I suppose, like any actor, it's probably a bit of a bummer when you find out that you're not going to make it really into the, the final film of a trilogy. And I suppose he's got good reason to kind of think that because I think everybody kind of expected Snoke to be in, you know, 7, 8 and 9 all the way through. However, as any good actor and Mark Hamill will tell you, especially, you know, you can have to follow your director and follow the story points. I kind of think that whilst it did slightly manoeuvre J.J. Abrams into a bit of a story cul-de-sac by killing them off in The Last Jedi, I felt like it was the right thing to do. If that scene, that throne room scene had happened in episode nine, which it very well could have done, it would have been so much similar to Return of the Jedi, but I just don't think it would would have landed. But it did create some interesting possibilities about where the story could have gone. I think actually how he dies and how Kylo manipulates a lightsaber map, I thought actually was pretty damn genius. The fight with a Praetorian Guard, I know it can be a bit chalk and cheese depending on how much of a, an aficionado you are when it comes to martial arts and, and cinema fighting and stuff, but I thought generally that whole scene was was fantastic. And also in some respects, it kind of makes perfect sense that he would be a puppet for you know the Emperor because he, you know the Emperor's basically Ming the Merciless and Ming never dies. Yeah, very true. I think this aspect was one of the things that fell together really, really nicely. Yeah. Snoke, you know, was the distant big bad hologram in the first film. You meet him in the second film. And as you say, that whole sequence with Kylo Ray and, and Snoke really was my favourite sequences from, from Last Jedi. Kylo is such a character on the fence. Yeah. You know, he makes his choice and then he, you know, he spends the rest of the trilogy kind of regretting the choice and backing back, coming, you know, working back from it to a degree. But he's still motivated by other aspects when Snoke's out the way that kind of changes that whole scene was brilliant the article says it completely here that it was ultimately about the development of Kylo and Ray. oh it's the Tandy Newton conversation from a few weeks ago when she was mm-hmm. talking about Val in Solo all other considerations aside you were one of many characters in Solo a Star Wars story that was completely there to service Han Solo you didn't exist until this script was written yeah your entirety of your character began with the first word she says in that film and ended with the last word. And if people want to go off and do comics and books and other stuff about it, great. But you were written as a character to serve Han Solo. They all were. So was Beckett, who died at the end. Yeah, we said it, didn't we? Solo's as brutal as Rogue One in some ways. Not that many people walk away from, from that. No. And so here with Snoke, Snoke's completely there to define the actions and the motivations of Kylo. He was seduced by Snoke. And then you learn in nine that Palpatine was controlling Snoke all along from distance, biding his time. What have the Sith done other than bide their time? They've always bided the time. When you word it that way, I think you can kind of go, actually, that's, you know, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, his performance was amazing in The Last Jedi. And so you could kind of understand why you'd be a bit bummed. But that's just it. I think the decision to kill Snoke off was probably the right one at the right time because there was no real major direction in that sequel trilogy how do you go from that? And I almost feel like all it needed was Snoke to die and somebody to run in and kind of say, we're receiving a message from Exegol. Just a couple of breadcrumbs, which gets us to Exegol. So then it makes perfect sense when we see Kylo at the start of episode nine, rather than it kind of coming out of nowhere. But hindsight is a beautiful thing at the end of the day. Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Star Wars fan, Fanta Tracks fan. 
November, we'll see the release of The Eternals, the latest Marvel big screen adventure movie. It's directed by Oscar winner Chloe Zhao, who won her Oscar a couple of years ago for Nomadland. And she has, whilst discussing The Eternals, been asked about her interest in the galaxy far, far away. It was Empire Magazine that did the interview. In that piece, she did say, hmm, I have to tread very carefully with what I say here. Yes, let's just say it's a world I have so much reverence for because it was such an important part of my life. The thought of her coming in, some people online had said that she should go to what they refer to as Star Wars Boot Camp and direct an episode of The Mandalorian. Or now, as we look forward, one of the other shows, find her feet in the Star Wars galaxy and go into it that way. My thought process was slightly different. She's won an Oscar. She's just directed for Marvel and she's good enough for Marvel. So I think she should be good enough for Star Wars. So what do you think? Do you think being a fan, is that enough? Do you think it needs more than that? What else would it need? What What are your thoughts? Difficult. It's a difficult one because you are quite right. You know, you'd think that if somebody's won an Oscar, especially for a film like Nomadland, and they're working on a, a big studio franchise film, they're perfectly qualified to work on Star Wars. But I think, as we know, you know, Star Wars is a different beast, maybe in some respects, with Eternals. It's a new film isn't it it's like a part of a new storyline in mcu and nomadland is completely a different type of film you know it's it's kind of a very kind of independent uh finding myself kind of film which is beautifully shot but it's you know if you were to look at nomadland and go this person could direct a star wars film i think you'd be like what the hell that would be an issue but i think using shows like the mandalorian and possibly and or to maybe bed in and and get to grips with Lucasfilm and and the Star Wars DNA is not necessarily a bad thing because ultimately it's a risk for both studio and director. Look at Ryan Johnson. You know, he was lucky that he went on to Knives Out and that did like amazing. But, you know, if he didn't and Last Jedi was his most famous film, he's probably got an issue with his career because that's going to be quite polarising. But then, for instance... If you put them through The Mandalorian or, as you said, like a Lucasfilm Star Wars boot camp, I think everybody then knows what's expected and also everybody starts to understand how directors work and then you don't necessarily end up with these big surprises like Solo. Suddenly we're we're having to find a new director because they've just fired last two directors and stuff like that. It's whether or not Kathleen Kennedy and the studio bosses at Disney feel that they would need to with Chloe Zhao or whether or not actually, like you said, you know, she's got the Oscar, she's just done Eternals, whether or not that's enough of a, a resume for her to bypass that. I mean, for example, if it had come out without... Taika Waititi doing a couple of episodes of a Mandalorian and they just said we're going to give him a film to direct a new Star Wars film I would be quite nervous based on the type of films that he's worked on before I personally wasn't a massive fan of For Ragnarok I like my stuff a little bit more serious and that was just a little bit too irreverent for me but you could imagine somebody like that who's kind of got a very particular style on that to then suddenly kind of like pick up a Star Wars film you're like whoa it's difficult isn't it I mean I think you'd be damned Either way, and I suppose it also comes down to how in demand is this, is this director? Has she got like a load of studios and a load of films that she's potentially going to be working on? And if they don't get her on board like now and give her the film, do they then miss her opportunity for five or ten years because she's got other stuff lined up ready to go? No, that's a great point. I mean, yeah, I would imagine she's an in-demand director, especially if Eternals goes over like people seem to think it will. Also, I think 
Lucas have got a good track record more recently in the sense that, and let's pick a specific demographic if you like. We've got Bryce Dallas Howard who directed on Mando. She's now directing the reboot for Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. We've got Deborah Chow who worked on Mando. She's now gone off and done Obi-Wan and who knows what else she'll do afterwards. We've got Patty Jenkins coming in from Wonder Woman to do Rogue Squadron. Now there's talk of Chloe Zhao coming in and possibly doing something in the Star Wars galaxy. So in that sense, Lucasfilm has put right a perceived wrong in that they're they're using more female directors. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Cool. That's fine, yeah. But by the same token, a lot of these actors, let's say, took flack when people didn't like what was being seen on the screen. And like John Boyega would say, I never wrote this stuff, I'm just the actor. The directors will get criticism. They, they're not going to want to put a director into the fire pit if they don't think they can handle it. If Chloe Zhao comes in and has directorial control and makes an absolutely banging Star Wars film and everybody walks away from the experience thinking that was amazing, great. But if there's any, any doubts around it, then she'll be battered. And I don't know anything of her. I don't know what her demeanour is like. You know, you get a vibe from people when you see them interviewed. Yeah. I don't know anything about her, so I don't know that side of, of Chloe's out. So I'm, I'm very much basing this on reputation rather than delivery. But, you know, if there was a potential for her to go into doing a, a TV episode to sort of warm up, you look at Mandalorian, look at the directors they had. You know, Robert Rodriguez comes in, does a great job. Uh, Scott Derrickson comes in, does a great job. Bryce Dallas Howard comes in, having not done a huge amount outside of, of that, and it's really made her career as a launchpad to move on to other things. I'd argue the most consistent director on Mandalorian is Rick Famuyiwa. Yeah, I would agree who's been around for, Yeah, you know, he's been around for years, but he's come in and he's been like the absolute rock-solid, steady, dependable director. When Lucasfilm started with the sequel trilogy and kind of the vibe that you got from Kathleen Kennedy was we want these young directors to come in and bring their vigour and energy. So Josh Trank comes in, Gareth Edwards comes in, Lord and Miller come in. So they've got the right people involved and Ryan Johnson comes in. And it's very much to me, it's very much when you said about looking at what Chloe Zhao did or looking at what Taika had done, if they hadn't have done a Star Wars episode, to me, that's Ryan Johnson. You look at what Ryan Johnson had done and there was nothing that he'd done in the past that I would go, well, there's a future Star Wars director. And yet he comes into a Star Wars film that polarised the audience, but it still made one and a half billion dollars worldwide. Exactly, news, damn it. yeah. I didn't like the comment that was made on social media, but I do see the merits of it because you didn't have a Disney Plus to bed yourself in five years ago, but you do now. And TV and movies, I think the snobbery of an actor going, I only do cinema, I kind of think is probably gone. You look at the names that are on not not just Netflix and Amazon, but doing stuff for your company, for Sky, and for just all sorts of places now. It's insane, the amount of Oscar winners that are doing what you would call television. I think the media line has gone. I, I would be very interested to see how this plays out as she gets used and where. Righty, I think that's it for this week. I think that's all we have time for. So thank you very much for joining us. In case you're new to the show and you don't know how to get in touch and would like to either drop us a line with a, a thought, theory or question or complaint, Mark can actually tell you how you can go about and do all of that. If you want to be part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanthatracks.com or check out the free... Free! Ah, 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 ah. Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. You can also go to the landing page for Fanthatracks Radio. There's a little player on there, so if you want to leave an audio question, you can do it that way as well. Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And there's always 
thanks to James Temple for composing the Fanta Tracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. And that's me done for this episode. Brilliant! Once again, thank you very much for listening. Mark, thanks for joining me. You know, look after yourself. Have a, a nice, I fun will. week. I shall do my best, and you, mate. And of course, as always, everybody else, you stay safe. Make sure you get vaccinated if you haven't done so already. And of course, may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks. You may fire when ready.